So hey, today I want to tell you a story. Uh, I want to call it the, the Lego Massacre. All right, the Lego Massacre. You ever heard a sermon about a massacre before? No, probably not. And uh, let me tell you this story. There's, there's four people in the story. There's a dad, Michael, and, the, and his oldest son, Graham, and Graham's close friend, James, who's over at the house for a play date. And so dad's home with the kids. And so there's, there's dad, Michael, there's Graham, his friend James, and they're both eight years old, and there's five-year-old Matthias. And so dad is sitting in the TV room, and he's, he's watching an NBA game. And he's an avid NBA fan. And the kids are playing down the hall. They're having fun. Just, you know, this is the way it should be. I can watch an NBA game, and my kids are having fun, and there's no problem. And then he starts hearing <clears throat> little noises of disharmony coming from down the hall. And then it, it kind of it, it starts, you know, calming down, then it starts rising and calming down, and, and he's sitting there thinking, okay, I probably should go in there. But, you know, he's waiting for a commercial break. Does this seem familiar? Uh, it's not streaming TV, it's live TV. Some of you guys, you guys know what live TV is? Some of you out there have never, all of you know what streaming is. Okay, live TV is where you can't control it. And so he's waiting for a commercial break or a timeout, and, and, it, and it's getting louder and louder, and then all of a sudden, he hears this blood-piercing scream of anguish and anger, and this crashing sound, and, he, and he, he, he's running down the hall, and right when he gets to the hall, it, it, it explodes, and all these Legos come flying out into the hallway. And he walks in the room, and his little five-year-old son is standing there with this defiant but freaked-out look on his face. Like He's looking at his dad, and the two boys are like, his older brother Graham, and, and there's Legos everywhere. And what was going on was they were having a, a, a little play date, and Graham has hundreds of Legos. And what he had done, he bought all the Legos and his friend, and they were making this cool Lego thing. But what they were doing that had created the tension was Graham had bought this huge uh, fishing lure box. And he had organized all of his Legos, like the little weapons, the modern weapons, and the ancient weapons, and the heads, and the hands, and the bodies, and the parts. And he had labeled them all. And so what had happened was little Matthias didn't get with the program of having it all organized. He just wanted to play with things. And so as, as he was less and less cooperative, they were less and less inviting. And he was getting more and more frustrated. And so his dad heard that. He didn't know what was going on. And then it got to a certain point where they said, Matthias, you can't play with us. And they pushed him you know, away. And well, Matthias didn't take well to that. <clears throat> he goes over and he just hits the little box, well-organized box of Legos that they'd spent hours organizing and then playing with. And they just went everywhere. And he smashed the thing they were making. And he was just standing there like, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. And, of course, uh, as the dad walked in, Graham just breaks down and starts crying. Matthias breaks down and starts crying. The other boy's like just freaked out about what just happened. And Graham jumps up and says, 
He always ruins everything. And he runs out you know, and runs past him down the hall. And so his dad is standing there looking at the carnage, knowing we got to clean this up. At the very least, you know, if you've ever stepped on a Lego before, you know, the, the excruciating pain. And there were like thousands of Legos everywhere on the wood floor. What do you do at that moment? What do you do? This is, this is the average day in, when, in a lot of parents' lives. Right? What do you do at this moment? Well, I want to I want to take you to some child rearing advice, counsel, and it's ancient. It's in the book of Ephesians where Paul tells parents something. And I just want to take one point and pull it out, and I want to show you how that can apply to us today. And and it and this is probably the most Effective child rearing principle you will ever learn. What I'm going to, what's in this today, and what I'm going to show you. So, if you would open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Ephesians chapter six. If you don't have a Bible with you, we use these paperback Bibles. They're under the share seats in front of you. And if you want a Bible, you feel free to take one home. I want to start reading in Ephesians chapter six. It's page eight thirteen. We've been in Ephesians for a while, so you guys might know where that is already. And here's what it says. It starts in verse 1, Ephesians 6.1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Then he turns to fathers and says, Fathers and mothers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, some, I'm not, I think most of us get largely what parenting is, but what Paul says here is, and this is consistent with if all the, everywhere you read in the Bible, is that God gave parents authority in their families over their children. And what this is, is it's this powerful, shaping influence. That's what authority is. When God gives you authority, it, it comes out in a way that allows you to influence and shape other people. And it's something God gives parents over their children. And Paul is, is acknowledging that in this passage. And, but he says two things. He says, you're supposed to use that influence. In fact, let, let me put it this way. He says, use it wisely and carefully because that authority can do great good or great harm. Right? I mean, we've all been parented, every one of us here. All, often not well. And you know what it's like. What, and then look a little further. Paul says, what you're supposed to use that authority to do is to bring them up. And it's a, it's a, it's a really descriptive term. To bring them up in the, Lord, the Lord's, meaning Jesus' nurture and instruction. And don't exasperate them. And the word bring up means like to nourish and, and grow something. Like, you, like earlier when he was talking about husbands, you nourish your own physical body. You take care of it. So what he's saying is that, that if you use your authority, this, this powerful shaping influence that God gives you with your children, to, to nourish them and grow them up, you're doing what God wants. But he says, but be careful because it's really easy to exasperate. 
And that word, that Greek word, means to impact your children in a way that depresses them. It makes them either lose heart, breaks their spirit, or it causes them to react to you. That they just begin to live in a reaction. That parents have this unique ability to do one of three things. and Sometimes all three. Sometimes simultaneously. They can really nurture and nourish and help their children grow and flourish. Or they can break their spirits to the point that they just like, they're lifeless. Or their influence, this, they can misuse it and cause their children to live a life of constant reaction. That they're constantly just, boom, they're ready to go. And he says that parents can actually learn not to do something, do things that exasperate your children. But how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you nourish them so that they can flourish instead of depressing them or breaking their spirit or causing them to be reactive? Now, nobody's a perfect parent. And what I want to suggest to you is something... This, this, I'm going to go back to the story of the Lego massacre. The dad is standing looking at the carnage, and he has two options. Now, maybe there's other ones, but I I think primarily there's two options. The usual way of approaching this situation would be to lay down the law, lecture, and punish Matthias immediately. Because he's the culprit. He's five years old, but he's the culprit. He's the one that smashed everything and screamed and, you know, just made the mess. Or the dad could opt for another option, option B, and he would use this principle, which all parents stumble across this principle. Most of us don't use it well because we don't really realize what we've done that worked. But it's a simple principle. It's called connect and then redirect. You connect with your child or children, and then you redirect them. Which, option A is, you redirect and you never connect. When, it, when a parent walks in the room and lays down the law and starts punishing and meeting out the discipline without connecting, they will inevitably break their kid's spirit and depress them, and they will cause them to become reactive. And every one of us that are sitting here that have any of those traits in our lives, it is, it, some of it is the fruit of that kind of parenting. Now, I want to tell you something. The, 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 the interesting thing about the Bible is it looks at the world like the world is good but also broken. And it addresses things in ways that are counterintuitive to the way everything else goes. Because surprisingly, sometimes it says, this is really good. God doesn't need to fix this. And you look at it and go, I think that's what God needs to fix. And then over here, you think this is normal and this is okay. And the Bible addresses it and challenges it and says, no, this isn't good. So I want you to to 
follow me for a minute before you, you mentally shut down and say, this is the craziest, most screwed up parenting advice I've ever heard in my life, and I can't believe you've attached the Bible to it. Uh, I, I, I want to tell you something. I think this is, this is the most consistent with the Bible parenting approach anybody could ever give you. So I want to show you the practical side of it. Then I want to show you the principle behind it, just real briefly. So what the dad did when he chose to connect and then redirect, what he did was he knew that Matthias was a mess and he needed to learn some lessons. He needed to learn about empathy. He needed to learn how to handle his emotions. He needed to learn how the consequences of actions affect other people. I mean, there's a whole you know, list of lessons that little Matthias needed. But what this dad knew, which we often forget, is he needed more than that. He knew that Matthias was in no emotional condition to respond to his correction. Little Matthias is just in a bad place. He was at a bad point. So what he did was he bent down to Matthias' level, got down right where he was. He attuned to him, and he went like put his arms out. Matthias, and he just drew him in, and he just hugged him. And Matthias started crying, and he just rubbed his back. He just said, that's okay. And he just let him cry and let him cry and just calm down. And this is very hard to do when you're missing your NBA game. You're standing in bare feet on top of Legos. You're, one kid's screaming. You're embarrassed because this other kid's going to tell his parents what kind of a madhouse that you run. There's all these dynamics that you're feeling yourself as a parent. And you completely forget all that. Well, this dad knew he had to connect before he could redirect. Before he, and that this is part of discipline. The discipline is not punishment. It's training. It's training. So, Matthias is crying. He's, and at a certain point, he kind of calms down. And you can feel, he can feel his son, just his body kind of relaxed. The tension's leaving it because the dad's holding him and covering him. And then Matthias, Matthias goes, I spilt the Legos. <laughs> you know? and, and his dad, Michael, said, yeah, little guy, you did a little bit more than that. <laughs> and he kind of laughed a little bit, and then Matthias smiled. And at that point, that's where he started to redirect it. Because his son was ready for the lesson. So this is counterintuitive to the way that most of us approach parenting. But we do that every once in a while, and we see the results, but we tend to be afraid that, oh, that's going to spoil my kid. Or that's going to teach them they can do whatever they want, and I'm, I'm on their side, and it doesn't matter about right and wrong or truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, in fact, I want to recommend, that, where did I put it? Uh, I've drawn this from part of a chapter in this book. If you, I've, I've mentioned this book to you before, parents. If you've ever read this book, this is one of the best books that's out there on child rearing. It's called No Drama Discipline. It's by two doctors, Daniel Siegel and Tina Bryson. And uh, Daniel Siegel's a really famous guy. He's written a lot of great books. Uh, and you're not going to agree with every single thing in it, but there's a reason why that approach works with your kids. Because it, 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 it is in accord with how God designed them. How God designed us. So there's, there's three things, just three quick 
reasons why that works. Why that approach will always work with your kid. Number one, connection moves children from reactivity to receptivity. When, they're, when they've lost their minds, they can't just flip a switch and calm down and go, you know, I just have suddenly gained a perspective in this moment because you're standing there looking at me that I've done something wrong and I'm ready to be guided into a, a, a better way of living, Dad. You know, have you ever heard that come out of any child's mouth? I don't think so. It's hard to actually get that out of some of your mouths as adults. They've lost their mind, and as a child, unless we help them, they're not going to calm down enough to be able to profit from what we want to share with them. So, discipline, here's, here's the way you need to think of it, why you need to connect first. Discipline is about training or teaching. Teaching requires receptivity. Receptivity results from connection, and connection moves kids from reactivity to receptivity. It's really simple. Secondly, this, this, this moving from reactivity to receptivity works because kids feel felt. When you connect with them, they feel felt. They know you have some sense of what's going on inside them and how overwhelmed they are. And they don't just feel like you're the, the, this horrible little person. Someone's phone's going off. Okay, sorry. Thank you. I don't usually even hear that, but I heard today. Uh, his connecting, now this is another thing we don't, this is what parents don't understand. And, you know, it's, a, it's an insight from neuroscience. But neuroscience has learned that our brains grow and develop towards maturity when we are loved. That science can actually, through brain scanning now, see what healthy brains look like. These unique kinds of connections that brains exhibit when people have been loved well. And the brain of a child that's been loved well looks and actually functions differently than a brain of a child that hasn't been loved well. And the brain of adults who've been loved well looks differently, and more importantly, functions differently. So if you want your child to grow up and become responsible, they have to be loved well. They have to be loved responsibly. Because the way they experience you is what wires their brain to relate to other people. It's kind of common sense. I mean, we, we know that. But there actually is a scientific basis for this. And if we try to just impose our will on our children without connecting to them first emotionally, we will get rebuffed. They will not be receptive to us, even though they love us, even though we love them. If we come in hot, they are not going to respond well because they don't have the capacity. You know, when you're talking about kids that are under 10, 11, 12 years old, and even older, learning how to calm yourself down is a lifelong journey. And since I know many of you really well, all of us are still on that journey. I can tell you as your pastor. And when you begrudge your children that fact, 
you just guarantee that they're going to react to you and they're going to react to other people. You're going to break their spirit and they're going to just be listless or they're going to be reactionary in their approach to other people in life. So his connecting with Matthias did a third thing. So it, it helped move him from receptivity, reactivity to receptivity, helped grow his brain and grow his soul. But as important as all those things is it connected him to his dad. When kids are hurting, they need to constantly get reinforced that I'm there for you. We have to labor to send that signal to them. Because when they're overwhelmed, they don't like themselves. People around them don't like how they act. Have you ever, you ever been around someone who's really misbehaving? Did you notice that people just don't run towards them and go, I just love you, you know? You ever seen anybody in the office that's acting like a butthead? And do people go away and just talk about how wonderful that person is? And, you know, I would love to be in the cubicle next to them. Could you move me from where I am over near them? No. Our children pick that up. They're freaking out, and they notice everybody around them is going, oh, you know, putting ugly, sending ugly looks their way. They internalize that. They draw conclusions about that. If the most important person in their lives doesn't move towards them with a kind look on their face, a compassionate, caring look, not a, eh, you know, like something you'd see in Halloween 7. But, you know, inside us, we as parents, that's how we feel, right? We're freaked out by how badly they're acting. And we show it on our face. We show it in our tone of voice, our body language. And we have to learn. We've got to deal with that. And we need to move towards them because they can't figure it out unless we figure it out. And so when we connect with them, we give them a gift. We're always in their corner. They know they can depend on us. And let me tell you something. They will grow up knowing they can depend on God. Because the first image of God that every person has is mom and dad. And the face that they see is the face of God. Where do you think the authority for your children comes from? It doesn't come from the state of Ohio. United States Constitution, our Constitution says you have inalienable rights that come from God. You're carrying, your authority is the face of God. And your kids look at your face, and that's what, your, your face is their first source of identity and self-image. So please, you know, try to be perceptive enough to realize what kind of signal you're sending to them. Now, Connecting and then redirecting. I can't, I can't go into the redirecting part because, you know, it would, I would go as norm, long as I normally do. And I'm not going to today. Pick that book up and read about redirecting. Because that's the business end that most parents are really concerned about. And we should be concerned about it. It's valid and it's important. But we wonder, why can't, why don't I get the impact as a parent that I think I should? Because you're just trying to redirect all the time, and you're not connecting with your kids. You're not giving them the resources that they lack that only come from you, because they, would, they wouldn't be in that condition if they, if they didn't have to be, because they're overwhelmed, because they're just immature. And it happens to pre-adolescents, teenagers, it happens to adults. We need each other. Now, this is, let me, let me just connect it to the gospel. Real quick story, you guys know this Stories real familiar. Woman's caught in adultery. The people use her as a as sort of a way to trap Jesus and get him 
you know, caught in a, in a moral dilemma. And so they bring this woman caught in adultery and they throw her in front of Jesus and there's a huge crowd gathered and, the, and they, they say, the law says this woman should be stoned. She's been caught in the very act of adultery. And so Jesus, it says, you know, he, he bends down and he writes on the ground and they say, what do you say? You know, like, this is a tough spot. This is like, you know, this is a lot riding on it. Jesus stands up and says, okay, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now, he's not disagreeing with him, is he? He's not saying you didn't cite scripture and apply it properly here. But he, he asked them, who wants to be first? You all brought stones with you. And I think at that moment you hear this, people are standing there and they're thinking. And it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they left. And I think you hear this, the, 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 as people drop stones and walk away. Then it says, John says, Suddenly, it's just Jesus and the woman, and he's writing on the ground. He stands up, and he looks at the woman and says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you, but go your way and sin no more. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's really important. You've probably never thought of this before. What do you think when Jesus said that, and, and you've got to catch yourself here, what kind of facial expression and tone of voice did Jesus say that with? Do you think he said it, well, neither, I con- neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more, you wretch. <laughs> or do you think he said, he looked at her and said, where are your accusers? And she answered and he said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Do you think a kind tone of voice fit that better than this other strident, hard tone of voice. I want to tell you something. We have a big problem with our image of God. We think God is always pissed off at us. Now, I know I'm not supposed to say that in church, but (laughs) we do. We think God is this, like if if, if he showed us his face, the reason we don't want to see his face is because he's really pissed off at us. He's like, you know, I'm really mad at you. We know he loves us, but but he's probably really mad at us. This is not the way God is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is theology. This child rearing is based on the gospel. Jesus sees we are out of control. God says, you are out of control. You're like Matthias. And I'm going to move towards you in the incarnation. I'm going to bend down and I'm going to hold my arms out, and I'm going to embrace you so you can change your mind. And then you can begin to believe and obey. I'm going to give you what you don't have, but I'm going to come at you not as this angry dictator that you're afraid of, but I'm going to represent what my father's really like to you. And we are carrying these images of God that we got because our parents didn't realize what they were showing us with their facial expression, their tone of voice, their body language, their actions. They, it's so rare for parents to really get it that they need to connect. We, 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 we want to connect all these other times, but we think when I'm disciplining my kids, I've got to be stern. They've got to realize this is serious. Kids realize it's serious. They're freaking out inside. They're out of control. We're supposed to move towards them the way God moves towards us. Can you see this as the gospel? How on earth 
did this other idea of child rearing ever get in there? Because this is where the gospel addresses where the world's at, where it's wrong. See, the whole, the whole way of, of the world, it, it started, and here it says, children obey your parents. And we go, yes, they should obey our parents. We should have authority over our kids. But then it challenges us to say, don't exasperate them, parents. Don't wreck their lives by being harsh. They need boundaries. They need responsibility. They need consequences. But they need it to be taught and modeled in this kind, loving way. The way we see God relate to us in Christ. That's why it says, in the Lord. You see this, this passage started with, in the Lord, it ends with, in the Lord. Jesus shaped Jesus shaped all this. You guys get that? The gospel is supposed to shape every area of our lives. Now I want to ask you, we're going to close. Where do you have some chaos in your life that you carry around? Like little Matthias. Where is some chaos, some internal chaos that, that, that you're walking in? And it may just, right now, everybody's nice and calm here, but it's just below the surface in your life. And it, and it comes up, you know, when you're driving. It comes up when you're, you know, the first sign of stress and, and challenges and relationships. Pops up. You need to let Jesus move towards you and connect with you so that you can experience him draining that. You can't white knuckle it. You're, you're going to keep saying things and regretting the things that you're saying unless you drain that swamp. It's just, it's that simple, but we avoid it because when we touch that before, we have these deeply embedded memories of the, uh, a really angry face associated with that. And so we kind of stay away from it. And in our head, we go, I know God loves me, but deep down inside, we have the feeling that we're not loved that way because we've experienced it through child-rearing and, and the way authority relates to people so often that we don't have an experience, enough experiences that make us run towards Jesus instead of avoiding him at those times when we need him the most. So I just want to ask you just for a second with me to stand up. I'll close. And where is that internal chaos like little Matthias had. Maybe, just like him, you have a memory inside you and you're just, you've just dis- destroyed metaphorically your brother's tackle box full of well-organized Lego parts. Yours is a grown-up version of that. And you keep finding people, uh, you, you keep being in that position where you're, you're defiant, but you're also, like, freaked out. And you just can't keep, you can't find a way to break that cycle. I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want to, I'm going to ask you just to get in touch with that in your mind. And I want you to tell the Lord, give you, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds just to be quiet. And I want you to tell Jesus about that situation, how that, how that feels when you think about it. Okay? Just tell him. Not out loud, just in your mind. Tell him how overwhelmed. Don't, Don't edit it. Don't dress it up.
This is good. This is going to be good. Now I'm going to ask Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, to communicate to you either through, you know, your spirit, your imagination, that you can see his loving face as, as he looks at you and, and draws close to you, or you'll feel in your body the spirit drawing near to you. And as, as you see his face or you sense his presence or maybe both, I just want you to let him put his arms around you like Michael the dad did with Matthias. He's going to do that for you right here. And you may feel, well, I don't know if I want to do that. that I might you know, be emotional. That's cool. But I'm, I'm teaching you something you can do at home. Now, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here. We are your body. You loved us. You fought for us. You died for us. And you said you're always with us. And I just pray that you would draw close now to every person that's here that, that has that internal chaos. And that they could either see your face and the, the warmth and love of your face, or they could experience you by the Holy Spirit. You're, you're drawing near to them and you wrapping your arms around them. That that chaos that they feel, that you would take it into yourself as you embrace them. Just give you a moment to let him do that. Just let him embrace you. See his face. Just the love that he has for you expressed on it. You might even hear his voice. You might even hear him speaking to you in this real tenderness. Now, in, in Jesus' name, as you've opened yourself up to him, as he's embraced you, I just say, let, let that chaos that you're carrying just come up and out of you and into him right now. Let it come up and out of you and into Jesus. 